I've been dancing literally as long as I could stand up. I've danced in a variety of different forms from hip hop and jazz, cabaret, ballet, tap, lyrical and drill. But it wasn't until I tried pole dancing for the first time in my early 30s that I really felt a new connection to my body. Growing up in Christian purity culture, I was conditioned to believe that as a girl, my body was inherently sinful, inherently lusted after, inherently sexual, inherently bad. These lessons left me disembodied in deeply traumatic and harmful ways. But during that first time with the pole, in that span of an hour, I had unpacked three decades of what I thought I knew about my body and pole dancing. And from there, my relationship to exotic dance, sex work, and my own empowerment. And I uncovered a dormant outlook that was just waiting to escape. Pole dancing isn't just a serious workout for even the most respected professional woman, whatever the fuck that means. But it was a way that I extracted the embedded fear that I have about my female body and its sexual power, and it helped me replace it with new knowledge that proves my feminine strength. I'm Sarah. Pole dancing has saved my life. This is Reclaiming and Girls to the Fucking Front. Welcome to another episode of Reclaiming, (laughs) the weekly podcast where we take everything back that was taken from us by the patriarchy one by one. I'm Sarah. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm really happy to have you back again this week. Before we get to the topic, I just want to make sure you're signed up for Reclaiming the newsletter. It hits your inbox every Monday. Same with this podcast. It's a weekly newsletter with updates, links, videos, memes, rants, celebrations, and so much more. So don't miss out. You can sign up on the website at reclaimeffingeverything.com. That's reclaimeffingeverything.com. Also, I say this every week, but I would love it if you could help me out with this and head to Spotify or Apple. Give this podcast a five-star rating and review. I would be so, so grateful. I've mentioned it before, but there are a ton of podcasts in Reclaiming and we just want to bump this all the way up in the algorithm. So thank you so much. This week, I wanted to talk about my background in purity culture and pole dancing and how pole has helped me unlearn the harmful messages about my body that had been embedded there by the church. My really early years were marked by girliness, pink hearts, crushes on boys, and I didn't understand it at the time, but girls too, and a deep fascination with romance. I learned about sex before most of my peers, mostly because I'd always been like a deeply curious kid. And I took it upon myself to learn what words like virgin meant from books and things like that. And I proceeded to spread these ideas like wildfire until an adult finally asked me if I knew what they actually meant and then told my parents. We weren't like particularly religious in those early days. We meant maybe went to church here or there once or twice, but there was no regular a pattern um, in our church going. But when I turned 11, there was this new non-denominational Christian mega church that gained popularity a few towns over. And I never asked my parents how they heard about it. But once we went for the first time, it was insanely easy to see how this church gained momentum like it did. It didn't have its own campus yet. So it held services at the high school, which I now see is really problematic. Huge problems here having a church in a high school. Um, but, you know, that's a church and state thing that's only getting worse with time right now. The services would be held in the school's large multipurpose room. They felt like a mix between 
between concerts and school assemblies. The people holding these services were young and fresh and they were cool as fuck. There was no stuffiness of the churches that we'd been um, that we'd gone through in my early adolescence. These were, you know, lights and hype worthy entrance theme songs from the pastor and basically like like rock star concerts. They had tables of junk food in the courtyard. I immediately started going to the junior high school youth group. And that's where the pastor was. The youth pastor was like a hip 25 year old who wore rainbow flip flops and said words like dude and bra and wore clothes from PacSun. Everyone made me feel welcome from the very first moment. It was in insanely charismatic. At my parents' encouragement, I would go to, you know, the really fun Disneyland trips with the church, whitewater rafting for Jesus, weekend camping. I began to root in this church group. My friend group morphed from the kids at school to kids from church. And in eighth grade in 1999, my family decided to move to the same town as the church, which was right down the street from its shiny new campus. And then, like I said, the old campus became my new high school. I was technically the new kid, but I never actually felt like the new kid. That transition was seamless. I got more and more involved and I got deep into the belly of the beast, so to speak. At the same time, I was emerging on the other side of puberty, raging with emotions and hormones and feelings and sensations that made no sense to me. And the more I engaged in the church, the more confused I became. When I turned 14, I joined an all-girls Bible study group whose leader felt like a cool older sister. The following summer, I attended my first all-girls purity weekend camp led by the church. This purity camp, it's it's a very it was a very normal thing back then. We would have group discussions, activities, prayers, and no matter what we were doing, there was an agenda that was there to instill fear and shame about our developing sexualities. Our lessons everywhere we went at this purity weekend camp centered on being careful and not trusting our bodies. The messages were so clear. Now that you're in high school, you'll be tempted endlessly by your body. Be careful with boys. You have the power to be pure, but you're the one, my dear girls, who need to cover up. You need to be modest. Your very existence will lead boys astray. Yes, sex feels good, they taught us, but it's designed that way, used by the devil to challenge your faith. Your loyalty to God is your loyalty to your future husband. And loyalty is the same thing as purity. This was a new kind of message rather than the traditional teaching of the generations before me. No longer did the church deny that sex existed and pleasure existed, but it acknowledged it. And then it held it over our heads, leaving us with more questions than answers. There's a phrase for what I was living through. It's called purity culture. Purity culture refers to an ecosystem of codes and expectations and rules that were placed on American adolescents in the 80s, 90s and early aughts, mostly among um, and by white millennium era evangelical Christian Megan churches like the one that I went to. It was popularized by religious books such as I Kiss Dating Goodbye by Joshua Harris. This person, Joshua Harris, has actually since denounced his old religion and apologized for what his book did to harm youths in this time period. It also was characterized by movements such as True Love Waits. And purity culture, I argue, reached its peak in the late 90s, particularly as teenagers of the moment began to gain access to more info about our bodies and sex and other people's like experiences through the proliferation of the internet. Although white Christian evangelicalism didn't corner the market on purity culture during this time, it was definitely ground zero for setting the codes and expectations 
that were central to maintaining Christianity's hold over the culture at large and for the long term. Contrary to the previous generations that really just decided that sex didn't exist and avoided the topic as taboo, the purity culture lessons that the church finally was teaching actually taught us these topics, but through a heteronormative patriarchal lens, it gave us really misguided context from an early age about how our bodies were about to change. It also taught us how society was evil and designed to tempt us into sexually devious behavior and how to avoid all of it by adhering to a strict set of rules and expectations, which I did. (laughs) Purity culture conditioned children from a very young age to believe that sex and pleasure were disastrous outside of a marriage between a man and a woman. The church reinforced gender binary and traditional roles for men and women as it had before, but with new urgency because the church realized they couldn't control access to information anymore. So they taught us that our bodies weren't our own, that they belonged to God, and that the only way to stay holy was to remain as pure as possible. It was the church that was the main communicator of these ideas to us. It was usually through church sermons, weekly Bible studies, purity culture events, like I mentioned, books and music. And of course, girls were the ones to often bore the brunt of the intensity and the fault and the guilt and the shame and the fear of sexual temptation and deviation. We were the ones that were conditioned to believe our bodies were inherently sinful and untrustworthy and that we were temptresses beholden to a different and in some ways deeper set of expectations in order to create a pure environment for young men. This has roots in the biblical story of Adam and Eve. And in those early years, as I watched my body change and develop, I got really terrified of my body. I grew really terrified of the attention it got. I felt like I couldn't trust it because like I said, it was inherently sinful. Even at 14 years old, barely through puberty, I believed that my body wasn't mine. It was God's and it was my future husband's. And I was a horny teenager, just like we all were. That's evolutionary, but I was taught that these inherent desires would lead to a life of agony and anything that stood in the way of practicing modesty should be feared. I was also supposed to confess my tiniest slip ups and atone for them. I was pressured to share them my most intimate, shameful secrets with our middle aged male pastor and other youth leaders. I mean, nothing was truly private. And this wasn't just a problem in the church either. It blended into secular life, like school dress codes, whereby spaghetti straps were not allowed and any tank top straps needed to be thicker than an inch. Skirts had to be below the knees or at least below the fingertips. No midriffs, no crop tops, no halter tops, no tube tops. All of these dress codes were imposed on girls to avoid distracting their male classmates. From this early moment, girls were conditioned to believe that it was our bodies that were nothing but distraction factories. And the only time you were safe to explore your body and what its sexual power even consisted of were within the bounds of a holy heterosexual marriage. Purity and virginity even seeped into pop culture, too. Jessica Simpson was an example of millennium purity culture as a young, beautiful white woman in a male dominated world. She was easily manipulated because of her religious upbringing and conditioned to believe that her body wasn't her own and it was to be pure and saved for her future husband, which ended up being Nick Lachey, which was her first real her first real relationship sanctioned by her pastor dad. You can read this in her autobiography. At the time, she was constantly bombarded with questions about her sexual status, her thoughts about sex before marriage, her thoughts about her body, her thoughts about other people's thoughts about her body. She was put through tests by the media and the culture at large, signaling that purity culture really was no longer just in the megachurches in the suburbs. 
Forbes, Jessica Simpson, and then by default, all the other pop princesses at the time were clothed and policed and manufactured and then critiqued and fantasized by powerful men. Her mindset and her relationship were exploited by the media and American youths, especially by the church, were given a solid, I told you so, example of the benefits of waiting until marriage to have sex. So chances are, my love, if you're listening to this and you survived the Y2K era as a kid or a teenager, you know what I'm talking about. Purity culture sexualized me in a way that left me very confused. I didn't feel like walking, talking sex when I wore a spaghetti strap top, but adults like pastors, teachers told me that I was wrong and I never consented to being sexualized like this by the authority figures in my life. I spent my high school years not terrified not only of my body and its sinfulness, but of how it threatened other people by its very existence. This fear caused me to avoid seeking the answers I needed and I missed out on normal teenage curiosity. I missed out on normal teenage horniness. I missed out on normal teenage safe exploration and healthy habit building around sex and my body and emotions and who I was sexually attracted to. And no matter how alone I felt in my pain, I know now that I was not alone. Looking back, this craze for virginity was so clearly about reestablishing control over women after the rise of feminism and not about sexuality. Unfortunately, that control depended on exploiting the source of our deepest vulnerabilities at the time our changing bodies, and our hormone-fueled evolutionary curiosity about sex, intimacy, and relationships. Now, my purity culture trauma manifested in very predictable ways because premarital cohabitation was off the table. I got married at 22 after a short engagement following a pattern, like I've said before, set by the many other women in my family. And though it was sanctioned by the religious authority figures in my life, my marriage was very painfully mismatched. And seven years later, I became the first person in my immediate family to get divorced. And at almost 30 years old, I found myself increasingly unable to settle for a life that didn't make me feel alive with a person that I had no business being in it. Now, foregoing the approval of my now ex-husband and any other male authority figures at this very scary time in my life left me without a framework for understanding my body's worth. And then less than a year after I left, I fell into a life-threatening eating disorder, which landed me in outpatient treatment for four months. In 30 years, I had never truly understood my body and I'd never felt connected to her. Most importantly, though, I had never felt ownership over her. My healing and my recovery began after treatment when Eric and I moved to West Hollywood, California, where people live freely and authentically. And I needed to get back into my body. It was time. I had spent so long being so disconnected. I need a new relationship with her. And because I loved dance before and danced around in other L.A. studios, I signed up for a pole class just to try it. But what I really didn't realize when I went to that first pole class is that I was tapping into a culture that not only embraced feminine sexuality, but act reclaimed it. And that is why I'm calling this whole project Reclaim Effing Everything, because I realized that there was a way to not just heal through recovery, but heal through reclaiming the things that were deemed unacceptable by this Christian male dominated patriarchy purity culture that I lived through and that had harmed me so much. I loved going to those pole classes. We danced on the boundary between discreet and overt sexuality. I became addicted to the pageantry and I was inspired by how much time and energy and money that my peers in this culture invested in this lifestyle. My studio friends and then my performer friends when I would begin to perform approached 
every single class and performance as if it was training for a marathon or showing up for a marathon. Their motivation, their determination, their position, all of it was so infectious. And I felt my body get stronger and stronger. I began to follow other pole dancers on social media, other strippers, witnessing how their movement gave them so much power and control. And I began embodying these energies in my own practice, not just at the pole, but in every day life. It was really hard to pole dance at first with all of my internalized shame. It was hard to take it seriously. I was worried about what other people would think from my old life. I dodged so many questions of, so are you a stripper now? And I also got a ton of cheering and support as I moved in new ways that had previously felt unsafe and unavailable to me. Slowly but surely, I had widened the gap between those blaring, threatening purity culture messages like your body is sinful, your body is God's, your body is isn't for any anyone isn't for yourself it's not for your own pleasure it's not for your own empowerment your body is for your husband's and it's for god's only i widened the gap every time i stepped up to that pole between those messages and my emotional responses to them in that gap i learned how to exist in my body in all of her complexity and that was a type of confidence that i had never experienced before and each time i entered that gap i healed a little bit more our bodies my babies store trauma in really complex and deep ways. If you've ever read the book, The Body Keeps the Score, and I will link it in the show notes, you'll understand this concept. After a toxic marriage and after an eating disorder, I got really angry at the church. I realized that I'd been angry at it all along since I was a scared and confused kid. But the difference was I took that anger out of myself. Bessel van der Kolk, who wrote the book, says that rage that has nowhere to go is redirected against the self in the form of depression, self-hatred and self-destructive actions. One of my patients told me it's like hating your home, your kitchen and your pots and pans, your bed, your chairs, your table, your rugs. Nothing feels safe, least of all your own body. That is exactly how I can explain what purity culture feels like in the body and as a woman growing up with all of this internalized shame. And you know what? As soon as I stepped up to that pole, I was ready to heal and I was ready to start loving my body. After a few months of pole dancing, too, I started to listen to my body more closely. I noticed when she was hungry, so I fed her. I noticed when she was thirsty, so I gave her water. When she needed rest, I gave her a a nap. When she needed an orgasm, I gave her fucking orgasm. I knew it was important to keep her healthy and happy. And the healthier my body felt, healthier my mind and soul felt. And bit by bit, I shed that guilt and shame that had piled up in my cells. And I expelled them like a divine snake shedding its skin. I also felt freer in my sexuality. And this process of getting to know myself, my interests, my you know, orientation, my, my desires, all of this shaped my ideology in really far-reaching ways. I started to read books by women who were previously off the table for me because, you know, feminism is a dirty word, like Gloria Steinem and Audre Lorde and Bell Hooks. I started embodying these messages and these reclamations of power in my dance and using it to charge my movements. And every single time I strapped on my eight inch pleaser heels, I felt my psychic wounds heal a little bit more. Okay. So now that I'm a pole dancer and performer in Los Angeles, that really weird suburban purity culture, that really unsettling suburban purity culture in which I grew up feels at times pretty foreign to me, like a completely different life. I remember those rituals, those rites, like can 
confessing my sins and signing vows and everything that I once took for granted as just a mess of fragmented images that no longer serve me. But some of these messages and memories stand out like they just happened yesterday. For example, when I was 14 years old, I signed a True Love Waits virginity pledge for my future husband, along with a bunch of other girls at my church. The male pastor gave out these small little gift wrapped boxes. Each one had a padlock and a necklace that held the key. We were encouraged to keep the key necklaces for ourselves, but save the box and padlock to give to our future husbands on our wedding nights. Now, a couple of years ago, like I said, I moved to LA. I discovered this little package at the back of my closet. And I'm really proud to say that I threw that shit straight into the trash, except for the little gift wrap box. I kept that little gift wrap box on my nightstand in my jewelry case for a very long time to remind myself that I could throw the church's bullshit out whenever I wanted. And now the only thing that I give that kind of power are the eight inch sparkly heels that I wear whenever I dance on the pole. That's it for this week, my loves. Thank you so much for listening. Once again, please make sure you are signed up for Reclaiming the Newsletter at ReclaimEffingEverything.com. That's ReclaimEffingEverything.com. Follow me on social media. I'm on Instagram at Reclaim Effing Everything. And please head to Spotify or Apple. Give this podcast a five-star rating and review. If you're dealing with purity culture, religious trauma, please know that you are not alone. Your body and you are on the same side. Your sexuality and your eroticism and your pleasure are yours. And they're yours to explore and enjoy. They exist for you and you only. Not to reproduce, which happens, of course. Not to please anyone else. Not to give your power away to the church. They exist for you. And as long as you're safe and you're not harming yourself or anyone else, you do what makes you feel good. That is what your sexuality is there for. That is what your body is there for. You are on the same side. Until next week, my loves, I love you so much and girl fucking power. Power.